So Money Episode 516, Lynn Perkins, CEO and co-founder of UrbanSitter.com. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome back to So Money. Thank you for joining me. Welcome to 2017, a new year, a new podcast. I'll tell you a little bit about our guests in just a moment. But first, wanted to let you know about an exciting Instagram campaign that I'm doing this entire month in conjunction with Mint. Many of you are Mint users. I've been blogging for them for the past few months. It's been a lot of fun. And starting January 1st, so actually yesterday, uh, we have launched a an Instagram campaign called hashtag so minty. So throughout the month, I'm going to be taking over Mint's Instagram handle and that's at mint app. If you're not joining them, sign up, join them. It'll be a lot of fun. What we're basically doing is a four week campaign dedicated to helping you all and myself make a stronger commitment to our finances, improve our financial habits, follow through on our money goals, for the year. You know, it's a popular time to be setting financial resolutions. Every day there'll be a new post, something that I'm doing to illustrate how I'm being hashtag so minty. And we want you to do the same. So follow us at Mint App and then on your own Instagram profile, post a picture of something that you're doing or of something that represents how you're achieving your financial goal of 2017. It's a four-week campaign. So the first week is all about establishing your goal. So this week, post something that represents you know, your number one financial shift or goal that you want to make this year. And every day, I'll be posting pictures. We'll also be doing some Insta stories, You know, those videos that Instagram now lets us do, one a day. So join us. We'll be re-Instagramming our followers so we can all participate and keep each other accountable and uh, and motivated. So that's what I wanted to share about that. And I'll be sending reminders throughout the month. Our guest today is Lynn Perkins. She's the CEO and co-founder of Urban Sitter. This show is dedicated to parents out there. I mean, imagine a world where you can find a qualified sitter for your kid in three minutes. I'm not exaggerating. You know, that's usually faster than when my Uber arrives most of the time. But thanks to urbansitter.com, and its co-founder, Lynn Perkins, this is actually the world that we live in today. Urban Sitter is Lynn's third startup to date. It is a venture-backed mobile and online service that connects parents and babysitters, kind of like an open table for babysitters. The company has raised $23 million to date. It's growing fast. And Lynn, amidst all of this, has stopped by the show to kick us off in 2017 with some motivation out there. For those of you who want to start a business, she's going to have some behind-the-scenes advice. Also, if you're looking to make some side income, this is a great platform for those of us who want to hang out with kids and make some easy money. Well, maybe not always easy, but you know, accessible money on the side. So we talk about how she herself as an entrepreneur has convinced a room full of Silicon Valley investors time and time again, mostly men, to give her money. And in this case, for a babysitting app, how did she do that? How staying busy helps Lynn save money. I love this tip. And the going rate for babysitters these days. You might be inspired. I'm telling you to take this on as a side gig. I did it in my 20s. It was a great source of extra income, not to mention a little introduction to parenting. Here's Lynn Perkins. 
Lynn Perkins. Welcome to So Money. It's so great to have you. Thank you for having me on the show. I'm really excited. We know you're the co-founder of Urban Sitter, and I just, I'm thinking, imagine if this site existed 10 years ago when I was babysitting as a side hustle, (laughs) all the extra gigs I could have gotten had I had a resource like this. So thankfully, uh, this has surfaced, and I know this was a maybe basically a project that came out of a necessity for you, but... I think to your credit, it's not just that you are a parent that you created this genius idea of Urban Center as a platform, but you have so much experience as an entrepreneur that it was kind of like the stars aligned, right? This is your latest venture. Yeah, the stars really did align. I have had experience running uh, internet companies in the past, but like you said, I had a real tangible personal need with young twins at the time to find... um, qualified help that was readily available when I needed it. So um, I agree. When I was in college, if I had had this, I would have made a lot more money babysitting than I did. I love businesses that obviously fulfill a need to their marketplace, but also are powered by individuals who then can make money as well. You're basically creating an economy here, uh, not just feeding an economy. So clearly there have to be some uh, I guess, safeguards in place, right? Because parents aren't just going to invite any old babysitter into their home. Tell us about what makes Urban Sitter click for, for today's parents. Yeah, absolutely. We have a vetting process that all of our sitters go through. And then once they're on our platform, what's very unique about us is that we surface the sitters that you as a parent are most connected to. So um, you tell us which neighborhood you live in. You might provide us information about where your child goes to school. And all of this is really helpful because then when you're searching for a sitter, we can show you, hey, look, this sitter has worked for five other families in your neighborhood or four other parents from your child's school have booked this sitter. And we give you all that social proof that you would look for in the offline world. You would be calling other parents at your school or, you know, texting moms in your mom's club trying to figure out who they use. But we bring all of that to the surface through these connections on our platform. And this average sitter response time is three minutes? Yeah, it's actually for a last minute babysitter, it's under three minutes. So, you know, there are a lot of dual working families right now. And when you get that message from your nanny at 10 o'clock at night or your your child is slightly sick and can't go to daycare and you're scrambling for a solution, um, our goal is to really give you that last minute sitter, but at the same time, deliver someone to you who is trusted and um, very experienced so that you feel good about that decision. You know, I've waited longer for an Uber Um, So this is pretty incredible. Well, do you feel that – how do you make this sustainable? Because there are a lot of companies that are thriving on this, you know, on-demand, app-based service. And I I don't really see these going away. But also you have to wonder, um, is everyone just jumping on the bandwagon? Yeah, we're a little bit different in terms of our pricing. So parents pay a subscription to use our service. And then on the sitter side, whatever rate the sitter sets, they're actually getting that money. And so there's really no incentive on the sitter side to take it off the platform. And likewise, on the parent side, we give you so many tools and functions that are better than what you could do through texting or in the offline world that we really look at this as a subscription service that you're using over and over again throughout the year. And how much can you make as a babysitter these days? What's the rate these days? (laughs) You would, I, I'll tell you, and I'm guessing it's not what you and I made when we babysat. It's um, in the 1650 is the average price nationwide for one child. And if you actually wow. look in some of the bigger markets, it's it's even higher than that. So um, I think I was lucky to get $16 out of an entire evening job, um, let alone for an hour. 
Yeah, and that's cash her taking home. And I know our babysitter, we give her dinner and her cab ride home. It's a nice gig. I can't say more about it. I mean, babysitting as a side gig, especially, is a great way to uh, not only make money, but, you know, after eight o'clock, the kids are in bed. Parents don't come home till 10. You can work. You can read. You can catch up on your own things, watch a movie, you know, so it's a nice way to kind of um, get be productive as well. Um, so yes. tell me about Silicon Valley. I'm always curious to hear from women who have experienced the challenges of raising money in, in for a startup in the Bay Area. Can you give us any stories or anecdotes like uh, that really exemplifies what it's like to be a female? And I can only imagine with the kind of business that you had asking for money for a company that's surrounding babysitting to a room full of men largely. Um, how does that go off? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you've kind of described it to a T. Most firms that we meet with have one, if we're lucky, two women in the room. And I kind of go back to my playbook from when I was in finance in my earlier part of my career. And I really just lead with numbers first. I believe that um, if you bring an opportunity to a meeting and you explain it through numbers and data, and it's a big opportunity, whether the person in the room can relate to it or not, you're going to get their attention because they're going to realize, wow, this is a big problem. And this is a very lucrative, innovative solution that's looking to solve it. So I always try to start my presentations looking at the big picture and explaining how large this problem is and how we're going to tackle it. Right, because numbers don't lie. And, uh, you know, even if it, it is something that they may not know a lot about or have um, a sensitivity to, uh, after that, what? What are the questions they usually throw back at you? I've heard from some females in the Bay Area and Valley, in the Valley, that like they may ask you questions that they wouldn't normally ask a man, like, what are your plans for uh, settling down? Are you married? Do you have kids? Because in their mind, they're wondering, uh, is she serious? Sure. And and I usually talk about, um, I, I like to, after I show some initial stats to kind of get people intrigued, I like to introduce my co-founders or whoever's at the meeting with me, one of my colleagues. And we talk a little bit about our background because I think when we talk about the experience we've had at growing companies and companies that have gone on to be quite successful, you realize that we're serious. Um, but it's funny you mentioned the, the kid and family life because Actually, when we closed our Series A investment, um, about two weeks later, I realized I was pregnant with my third child. And I have to tell you, I was pretty nervous to call that investor who just put the lead money in and, and let him know that um, I was pregnant. And I knew as soon as I got his reaction that I had picked the right investor. He said to me, that is exciting news. You will be continuing to be part of the demographic that your service is servicing. And you know, I'm really supportive of people having things going on outside their life. This is not a sprint. This is a you know maybe a half marathon. And right then and there, I realized, you know, there really is a difference um, in each VC and each partner that you meet with. And it's really important to find the right fit. And clearly, I had picked somebody who was excited for me and understood that this was just going to be a blip on the radar in terms of distracting me for a little while. Right. And maybe not even distracting. Really, it's important to go through that you are the market, right? So it's important that you go through these experiences because it relates right back to the success of the business. Yeah, absolutely. It, it put me in another. I had another suite of young children and young moms mm -hmm. that I could pitch to at the, uh, yeah. the baby music class. <laughs> well, you touched on raising money, and I'm curious to know what your take is on startups who need to raise capital, or or well, is what are the risks to uh, raising capital early on in your um, 
in your journey as an entrepreneur? Uh, is it always, does it always make sense? Like, I feel like sometimes you take the money too quickly and then you, it's hard to keep up. And oh, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I like to, um, when I talk to new entrepreneurs who are, are thinking about raising venture capital, and I think one of the, the problems with small companies, especially in the Bay Area and even in New York, is that you hear so much about venture capital that you think, oh, I'm going to start this business and I'm going to get it venture funded and that's going to be it. And not venture capital isn't right for all small businesses. Um, you know, my co-founders and I, when we decided to raise venture capital for Urban Sitter, we sat down and looked at each other and said, okay, by taking this type of funding, we're agreeing to put the gas on to grow this at scale. And there's a lot of pressure that comes with that VC funding versus for other businesses, a small business loan might actually be a better way to go. Um, I think with venture capital, you really have to think, okay, is this a business that either number one, I want to accelerate quickly. There's some advantage to growing this business very quickly because I'm going to take over a market share or somebody's coming behind me. Number two, another good reason to take venture capital would be if you have a product that's going to take a lot of time and expertise to build. So that would be more like in the biotech space or in a very complex um, tech product space. But for a lot of other businesses, uh, venture capital is not the, the right way to go. And a small business loan, especially, um, there are more and more opportunities for women-run businesses to get small business loans. So I really caution people to get super excited. You watch Silicon Valley TV show and you think, aha, this is going to be my path <laughs> to, to, to millions. And that's not really how it works. It's not, but it's definitely great entertainment. It is great entertainment. I find it a little too close to home. I can't really watch it, but yes, it is good entertainment. <laughs> oh my gosh. So it is really good. It is really accurate in some ways. Lynn, you, I mean, I'm, I, I, we're not talking in person, but I hear your voice. I can sense you have a lot of passion. You're, you're very energetic. I almost feel like this is just the beginning for you. And while people have called you the startup veteran, I, I see a very long trajectory for you and more businesses. I mean, what... What inspires you? I mean, I don't think that we all have that je ne sais quoi. Like, I don't necessarily think I have that. Um, we're all different. But I, I sense that in you, that you have this drive that is uncanny. Where does that come from? And what, how would you describe it? That's a good question. I think I'm very curious. I'm just sort of wired that way. And if um, I see a problem that I think I can fix, it's hard for me to shake it. So I'm, I'm sort of driven to try to fix the problem. And then the thing that kind of gets me from addressing a problem and thinking of a solution to actually building the business would be the people I bring around me. So um, I really like to work with great teams. And so once for Urban Sitter, once I had run this idea by my technical co-founder and we'd brought on my product co-founder, I was so excited to work with the two of them that I couldn't imagine turning back. So I think it's a combination of just being very curious and creative. And then um, for me, the thing that kind of gets me over the tough days and gets me through sort of the growth phases is working with people I really like. So you would say you're, you like to solve problems. Is there, was it apparent as a kid growing up too, that this, now your life is no, uh, is no coincidence? I think it was apparent when I was growing up. Um, my parents renovated our house when I was pretty young. And I remember asking if I could take all the shingles from the old roof and sell them as firewood to my neighbors. And so <laughs> I, I'm, I'm guessing it, it came at a pretty early age. Yeah, I think so. I mean, having the desire to make money, creating, re recognizing a market, that's basically what you did <laughs> at, a, at, the, at the ripe age of however old you were, elementary school, middle school. Um, well, we'll go back down memory lane in a second. Uh, I want to first ask you, what would you say is your financial philosophy, a money mantra distilled in like one or two sentences? 
Well, I think it kind of actually ties into that, which is getting creative. Um, even, you know, with a venture back business where we had substantial funding after our first round, we went to look for office space and office space is tough. You don't really want to blow money on office space because it doesn't really return anything to the bottom line. Um, you know, hopefully employee happiness. But I thought like there has to be a better way to find great office space. And so I started looking at all these articles in TechCrunch that would talk about companies getting acquired. And if the company that was getting acquired was around our size, I would actually call the new um, the new company. I would call their facilities manager and say, hey, you know, before you put that space up for sublease, like I'd love to talk to you about it. And we ended up getting a great deal on our first office space. And so I think whether it's treating, you know, my own personal financial situation that way or the way I think about things at work, I always try to either through negotiation or creativity, find a slightly more economical way to end up with the product that I'm looking for. It also sounds like you're really proactive. So you don't wait for the opportunities to present themselves. You find those opportunities and present them to those who may not even realize they have anything to offer. It's true. And another thing I've learned on the personal front is I just, when it comes to personal spending on, you know, objects or things, I try to wait 24 hours. If I see something I really want, you know, half the time the next day, I'm really not that excited about it. So I sort of, you know, I know Amazon Prime and things like that are so tempting, but I try to kind of put the pause button on and say, okay, if I wake up in the morning and I still want it, then I'll get it. So selling roof shingles to your neighbor, did you make any money, by the way, at that point? When you sold well, I think I did, but I should have thrown a caveat in there, which is that I grew up in San Diego, California, where not a lot of people are using firewood. So I'm guessing <laughs> that my, my sales were probably a little bit less than successful. You had a geographic handicap. Fair enough. I did. Um, I did. And it's, that was definitely starting a business. I would say, make sure you've got the right customers around you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, what would you say was a very uh, pivotal money, me- a pivotal money memory growing up as a kid? Maybe a reflection on how your parents talked about money or even just a personal experience you had with it that as an adult, you look back and you're like, that's how I learned a lot about, you know, money and why I have the relationship I do with it today. I actually think my parents did me a disservice by not talking about money as much as they could have. So it wasn't really until I was in college and managing my own spending money that I became financially savvy in any way. And I I kind of look at that experience and I try to, with my own kids, make more of a point of teaching them about money and trade-offs and savings because I don't think I had as much exposure to it growing up as as I could have. Um so it's, it's something that I think, you know, out of not having had a lot of experience managing my own money growing up that I've, I've tried to be a little more proactive in teaching my kids about managing their own spending. As an entrepreneur, how important is it to, like you talked about earlier, really be creative with money? Um, we think sometimes, like we look at your profile, you know, Lynn Perkins, she's, this is her third, you know, you're, you're not, this isn't your first time at the rodeo. You're very seasoned entrepreneur. You have a very successful company here, Urban Sitter. Um, we might assume, you know, you're flush with money. You just got this big in cash infusion from venture capital. Uh, but take us behind the scenes a little bit. Is it, uh, how challenging is it sometimes to, you know, budget and still make ends meet as a business owner and then also back into your personal life? Well, on the business side, again, being a venture-backed company, we're sort of pressured to grow quickly. And so it's this really fine balance that you have to figure out, which is, okay, I need to spend to grow. But at the same time, I need to be making 
tweaks and changes in my business to make sure that I'm, I'm getting, you know, the right return on that spend. And so I think when you're running a startup company, especially one that's venture backed, where you are under a lot of pressure to grow, there's this constant struggle between, okay, spend to get things moving faster. But at the same time, you want to be um, cautious with your money because the chances are with a new business, you've made some mistake in terms of your product or you need to modify something. And what you don't want to do is be caught flat-footed without any money um, to make that change. And so I think there's always this constant balance between saving and being frugal while at the same time spending for growth. And at least for me, I, I find that that's um, it's something that I'm, I'm constantly paying attention to what we're spending on versus where we're holding back. Mm-hmm. What's been a failure to this date, a financial failure, either with the business or in your personal life? Well, my second internet company didn't do well. We ended up shutting it down. And it was probably the first time in my life that I'd had a substantial failure of my own. And and also, it was a financial failure. I'd had investors that had put money into the company. And you know, I, I felt a lot of pressure and a lot of loyalty to them to make it work. And it took me a long time to get over it. And I think out of it, I learned a couple of things. I learned that, number one, I'm not somebody who's great at taking investment from friends and family. Usually a lot of companies, when they start off, they have like a friends and family round. And I, I realized that that pressure for me actually held me back a little bit. Um, I think the other thing I got out of it is that after I kind of recovered from from reeling from the loss, I also realized that, wow, you know, I can I can make a mistake and get back up and get on my feet and start over again. And it actually made me a little bit more bold in my next couple of, of business endeavors. And and I think bold in a good way, in a way that I wasn't always worried about failure because I knew if I failed, I could get through it again. Yeah, failure is just part of it, right? But failing early is really much better than failing later in your career. I was reading um, – uh, some takeaways from another podcast you were on and that it is like the best time to start a business is when you don't have a lot that's riding on you. You know, it's just you. Um, you don't have a mortgage, kids, uh, dependents. So you can fail with a lot less uh, repercussion that way. Absolutely. And I think then you also know early on in your career, are you somebody who likes to take that kind of risk? Because if your whole life you're sort of working at these big companies thinking, oh, at some point, you know, I'll I'll be flush with cash and I'll go and do my own thing. Like doing your own thing may not be for you. Or you might try it early on and think, oh my gosh, I can never go back to working at a big company. So I, I think you learn a lot about yourself in those those early career days. You've raised $23 million to date, right, for your uh, Series A. That's the latest I've heard. Is there, is there anything um, to add to that? We've raised um, $23 million total across three rounds of funding. So we raised a seed, an A, and a B. Um, in our last round, the B, we finished in 2014. So that's about $23 million total across all of those. Wow. Well, that's pretty so money. But what would you say is your so money moment? My so many moment. Well, I would say that with my co-founders, it was probably after we closed our Series A. So getting seed funding isn't as tough as getting your Series A funding, which then isn't as tough as getting your Series B funding. But our Series A, we had really accomplished a lot in that year. We'd given ourselves some goals after our seed funding, and, and we we hit all of our goals. And I think we felt really proud going into that Series A. And we ended up with a lead investor um, who was just phenomenal, and the firm is phenomenal. And I think we kind of high-fived and said, like, yeah, we found somebody who's the right fit for joining our board. And um, it was just really great because it, it validated that what we'd been working on for the past couple of years uh, you know, had legs. How do you celebrate <laughs> getting $23 million well, I guess over time, but you know, every time you get that, yes, that funding, um, how does it sink in? What do you feel like? 
honestly, it's a bit of a downer by the time it happens because going through the pitching process is pretty draining. And so by the time you get that term sheet, it's kind of like the flashback to college. It's like right after finals where you think, aha, I'm going to go out with all my friends that night after I've just done you know six finals and we're going to have a great time. But really, everybody's too tired to mm-hmm. actually enjoy it. It feels a little bit like that. And it kind of sinks in over the next couple of days. And I usually try to do something fun with my, my co-founders. And uh, we usually go out for dinner or do something to just kind of to reflect. I think sometimes in a startup, you're working so hard that you don't pick your head up and look at what you've done. So for us, it's always been a good time to go out for dinner and, and talk about what we've done and and also to kind of re-up and say, okay, you know, we're, we're in it for another couple of years. Are, are we excited about this? What do we each want to do? And it's really fun to think about shifting from fundraising to going back and building new stuff. So it's, it's pretty motivating. Yeah. And if you've got the right team, which it sounds like you do, it's even more rewarding. That's hard though, right? Finding the right partners. It really is. And I think I've learned both through good experiences and bad experiences. And this time, I really set out to build a co-founding team where we each brought different skills to the table. And it's been incredibly valuable because we each are kind of experts in our own areas. And as a result, we really respect each other's opinion. But yet we seem pretty unified in terms of what we're trying to accomplish. And so it, this this group has worked really well. I'm, I'm, I still love them. And it's been you know six years, seven years now. Okay. What is your number one money habit, Lynn? Something that you do pretty regularly that helps to keep your finances on track? That's a really good question. Well, I I mentioned earlier, I like to wait before I make any purchases. And then the other one I would say, it's a good question. I would say that I try not to buy on the personal front. I try not to buy anything without doing a little research. And so like I'm not that person who would would go into a department store and all of a sudden walk out with like a expensive leather jacket having not really thought about it for a while. I'm pretty diligent in doing my research on things that I buy. And so I think taking that time, that habit of kind of taking the time to do research for especially when I'm making a splurge on something, I really take my time. Um and then other than that, like I I don't carry a lot of cash around, which is I guess it's a negative when you're hopping into cabs here and there, but it works out well in the sense that I don't really have any sort of sporadic spending habits. Well, sure. And I guess not having cash minimizes some of the impulse buys. But at the same time, we're connected through our phones and uh, we electronic payments. So it's a lot easier to spend depending on how you look at it. But I guess it sounds like you're not an impulsive person in general. I'm not an impulsive spender. I would say actually probably I don't look at this as a ritual, but to be honest, the number one reason why I probably save versus spend is that I'm too busy to shop because between having... <laughs> it's a good excuse. I would, it, seriously, I think about the times in my life when I've, I haven't been working and those are the times when I've made impulsive purchases and I've, um, you know, booked expensive trips and you name it. Um, which is really funny because actually, you know, working at a startup and having crazy hours and having three kids... Like I probably have a wardrobe that's two years out of date because I haven't had time to go shopping. It's probably been the best ritual for me. Stay busy. It's the best way to save money. And also it's the best diet because like, what do I do when I have nothing to do? When I'm bored, I eat or I spend or I do these things that are crutches and vices. And uh, really, it's good to fill your schedule up with productive, healthy things that keep you busy, whether that's work or working out or spending time with friends. Good advice. I like that a lot. Stay busy, save money. It, yeah, seriously, I think that is probably my. I didn't. I didn't think of it as a ritual, but absolutely, that's the habit that I'm in. That's <laughs> saving me money. It's inherent to staying busy. You end up uh, saving some money. All right, let's do some so money fill in the blanks. I know this is your favorite part of the show, where I start a sentence and then you finish it. 
if I won a million dollars in my personal life tomorrow, or actually more, a hundred million, what am I doing? I'm discounting it. No, no, no. A hundred million dollars tomorrow, today, the first thing I would do is pay for my nieces and nephews college. I'd probably also give some money to Moms Demand Action, which is all about gun sense. And then my personal splurge would be that I would have somebody come to my home and blow dry my crazy hair every day. (laughs) Yes, that's a good one. Especially now that I'm pregnant, it's really hard to do anything but put my hair up in a bun. Absolutely. I consider a bun styling at this point, you know, but it's... Uh, it is. It takes it takes some effort. But if every morning you woke up and someone was sitting there, you had a coffee made for you and someone was there to blow dry your hair, it would be great. I think Joan Rivers had that. Rest her soul. Probably. Her hair always looked great. <laughs> All right. When I make my life easier or better, I like to spend on... Babysitters. Babysitters. And, and it's so... It's so fitting since that's what I do, but I do, I, and I love my kids, but I do really like getting time away to go work out or see friends. Um, it's, and also babysitters who come through when I have to stay late at work. It's definitely my splurge. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, no, I can completely relate there. I'm actually not a user yet, but I think I'm going to have to check it out now because, uh, you know, one baby is manageable Two under the age of three. I don't know so much. Well, and actually I, I really like getting a, babysitter sometimes for one or two of my kids and spending one-on-one time with one of the kids. Actually, and that doesn't sound like a splurge so much, but it's really great to have that one-on-one time. And so when I can hire a fun babysitter for the other two, it gives me that one-on-one time that I miss. Oh, that's a great idea. All right. When I was growing up, the one thing I wish I had learned about money is... That it doesn't grow on trees. Um, I think the thing I wish I had learned is that the earlier you save it, the, the more it's going to be worth down the road. Yes. But compound interest is not the easiest thing to teach a seven-year-old. Um, but yeah. you're right. I mean, I tell this till I tell this to people in their twenties. You know, well, I don't have any money to save. Well, just save something because if you do it consistently, you'll have more than someone who started at age thirty. You know, and that person actually has to save for a much longer period of time to accumulate. Right, they have to. Did. Make up for lost time. Absolutely. Right. Or maybe that's sort of along that line as a kid is, I wish I had known that, you know, out of sight, out of mind, put it away and, yes. and you won't think about it. Automate. <laughs> All right. When I donate, I like to give to blank because? I, two things. I, I always give to Planned Parenthood. And then the other one, um, I always give to any kid that is raising money for something, whether it's the school jogathon or Girl Scout cookies. Um, and it's because with Planned Parenthood, I think it's a needed service. And then, you know, who can say no to cute kids or Girl Scout cookies? Right. And you want to encourage them. You want to in- incentivize them and, and let them see that, you know, when they come up with a great idea and they are entrepreneurial in their own little way that People are receptive. I think that's that's a great uh, thing to devote yourself to. All right. And last but not least, I'm Lynn Perkins. I'm so money because... I've helped tens and thousands of young women earn crucial income for supporting themselves through school and life. That is amazing. Like I said, you're creating this economy of babysitters that didn't probably exist as robustly before. And I only wish I had this access back in my 20s. But... Uh, uh, I'll be definitely recommending it to, uh, you know, everyone I can who is looking for some side income because I think 2017 is going to be an even stronger year for side hustles. So, so resources like Urban Sitter are very much needed. Thank you so much, Lena. And I hope you have a great, great 2017. Oh, same to you. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. 
That's a wrap. If you'd like to visit Urban Sitter, it's urbansitter.com. If you'd like to get any more information on this and uh, download the audio, the transcript, head over to somoneypodcast.com. And while you're there, click on Ask Farnoosh or leave us a voicemail as some of you are starting to do. We love hearing your voice for our Friday episodes of Ask Farnoosh. Send us your biggest, baddest money question and we will tackle it. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Happy 2017. See you right back here on Wednesday. Guess who our guest will be? It is someone who's been on the show before. You know him well. I'm just going to say that. So stay tuned Wednesday. In the meantime, I hope your day is so money. Money.